This is the E-Commerce Brain Trust, a podcast about building momentum online for established consumer brands. Join our hosts and their expert guests for high-level conversations about e-commerce strategies, trends, and innovations. Access our Brain Trust and boost your brand's e-commerce potential. Well, hello and welcome back to the E-Commerce Brain Trust podcast. I'm your host, Kiri Masters, Head of Retail Marketplaces Strategy at Acadia. Welcome back. Happy that you're here. Happy New Year. Happy 2024. This week, I am really thrilled to be playing back one of our most popular episodes from 2023, which was a conversation with Jamie Roller, who is the Associate Director of Growth Channels at Dr. Squatch, a men's natural personal care brand. And Jamie is one of my favorite brand side people to follow on LinkedIn. She is very passionate about e-commerce as well as personal productivity. So I always love listening and reading Jamie's personal tips and hacks around productivity. But in this conversation, we cover a lot of ground. A few takeaways from me here. We talk about the organizational structure of Dr. Squatch and how that since it is a D2C brand first and foremost, how that has evolved in a fairly unique way. And I think unique from the perspective of how the organization thinks about different sales channels as well. So something quite interesting there. How the organization, again, with its D2C roots, thinks about top of funnel versus bottom of funnel and a a fairly unique perspective philosophically on a marketing and sales mix there. Another couple of interesting tidbits here is how Jamie and the team think about retail media networks and which retail media networks to expand to. And finally, something that Jamie has a very unique perspective on, it's called the blended payback approach. And it's a unique way of thinking about marketing efficiency and how the company calculates their cost per acquisition and offsets it with the customer's lifetime value across different sales channels. So quite a unique approach that I think a lot of brands could consider that and put that into their playbook. You're going to love this conversation. Do follow Jamie on LinkedIn as well and enjoy this conversation with Jamie Roller from Dr. Squatch. And today I'm joined by Jamie Roller, who is the Associate Director of Growth Channels at Dr. Squatch a men's natural personal care brand. In this role, she is responsible for driving strategy, growth, and management of Dr. Squatch's growth and marketplace channels, including Amazon and Walmart.com. Jamie has spent the last 10 years in global strategy consulting and working at several market-leading high-growth e-commerce companies. She's obsessed with everything e-commerce and is also a productivity geek. Welcome to the show, Jamie. Thanks so much for having me on, Kiri. It's such a pleasure speaking with you today. I think we're going to have a great discussion about what Dr. Squatch has been doing in marketplaces. I think there's a lot to talk about. I think the industry has been changing a lot and we can definitely dive in. Sounds good. So beyond the bio that I shared, it would be great for you to just tell us a little bit about your career and how you first got into e-commerce. Yeah, so... I started my career as a strategy consultant, worked across a bunch of different industries and helped managers and executives who were managing P&Ls themselves to grow and to be profitable. And after a couple of years doing that, I think I was really hungry to manage my own P&L 
And I'd always had a huge passion for e-commerce. I was an Amazon native, having grown up shopping on Amazon myself. And the job came up working at South Africa's biggest e-commerce marketplace to be a category manager there. And I jumped at the opportunity because it was just such a fantastic opportunity to manage my own P&L, which is just a great, really awesome thing to do really is drive growth and profitability throughout an organization and gave me an opportunity to really understand the ins and outs of e-commerce. And from there, I've worked at Amazon aggregators. And now I work at a big men's personal care brand, as you pointed out. So it's been a windy journey for me kind of through strategy and consulting and e-commerce, but really following my passion and just like super excited at, you know, what I've done so far and what's coming in the future. Yeah, absolutely. And pardon my ignorance, but what is South Africa's largest marketplace? Our largest marketplace right now is called takealot.com. They're basically set up exactly like amazon.com. They have a retail or like a 1P channel, which was where I worked primarily. So we would buy product from L'Oreal or all of the other big brands. And then they also had a marketplace division, which as was with Amazon, as has always been with Amazon, that was growing a lot quicker. And really that's what drove a lot of the selection on that channel. So it was on the platform. It was an exciting place to work because e-commerce adoption in South Africa is lagging a little bit behind the rest of the world. I would say like five or seven years behind the UK and the States. It was a great opportunity for me to work in a company that was pioneering what like the future of e-commerce in a country where you were kind of at this nexus between customers who are totally shopping offline and really now adopting e-commerce and getting to be a part of building that was very exciting. Very cool. Could you tell us about, I know you oversee Walmart and Amazon. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about how your team is structured within the rest of Dr. Squatch, how you relate to the marketing team, brand, sales teams. Yeah. So I think to understand where my role fits in, it helps to talk about where Dr. Squatch has come from historically. And where we've come from is we are a direct-to-consumer first brand. We were founded about 10 years ago entirely through a D2C base. And we grew really, really big through direct-to-consumer, which is just fantastic because it allowed us to grow a really solid, very loyal consumer base. And our organization has kind of emerged and grown around around those needs. So we've got obviously a marketing division, which is where I sit under. I report to our VP of marketing and we drive revenue growth really across all of our channels. And that encompasses brand marketing, marketplaces, email marketing, et cetera, that all kind of sits within marketing. What in the last couple of years, some of the big changes have been that we also have really grown out our retail operations and sales. So the retail team sits a little bit separately, but working very close with the marketing team that, that sits slightly separately to my team and to the marketing team. But we all work very closely together and, of course, work very cross-functionally with operations and finance and product. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. It's very interesting hearing you talk about that and big difference from what I have heard in terms of more legacy brands who have been primarily wholesale focused, selling to brick and mortar retail, very strong sales orgs, and the relatively recent addition of e-commerce and direct-to-consumer channels and marketplaces has kind of like thrown that whole model into not into question, but they've had to adapt in very different ways to compared to a, like you said, 
a brand that has its roots in D2C, now you're adding on the sales that, you know, national accounts and sales function, and that's unusual. So it is very interesting to see the unique challenges depending on which direction you're coming to the table with. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And I think over the last, I would say, two years, we've our omnichannel strategy has been a core focus and something we've really focused very strongly on building out and deciding what's going to be the best path forward for us, knowing that, of course, D2C is still the primary focus for us to be able to capture customers with very strong LTVs and the best place for us to really drive new products, like drop new exciting products and really give our brand like a good place for us to get our brand voice known. But of course, retails just become brick and mortar retails just become such an important channel for us to drive sales and awareness because customers have really gone back into stores in the last year. And then marketplaces has also grown out to be a very significant channel for us. So that's increasingly becoming like, in short, we need to be where the customer shops. So we've evolved from a D2C only brand, a D2C first brand to being a true multi-channel brand. And I think our organization has kind of evolved in the structure to fit around that. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, so let's talk about Amazon for a second. So it seems to me, and Dr. Squatch came on my radar initially from the Thursday night football game, the first one, first and only one that I watched in To Be Candid. I saw Dr. Squatch everywhere in that Thursday night football advertising slots. And since then, I guess I've kept an eye out, but Dr. Squatch is doing a lot of experimentation with Amazon advertising and other marketing channels. So I would love to hear how your organization thinks about Amazon within its marketing mix. Yeah. Historically, we viewed Amazon as a very bottom of funnel channel for us. So as you would know, if you've seen any of our ads, we do a lot of very playful advertising on Facebook, on TikTok, etc. And that drives a lot of high intent traffic to Amazon. What we find is that, of course, that, that's where a lot of our traffic to our D2C channel comes from. But we also get a lot of branded search on Amazon, huge amounts of branded search on Amazon. In fact, in a lot of cases, primarily we get more branded traffic to our listings, then there is category traffic available in the category. So that's been a hugely successful play for us. And it's become really apparent to us over the last couple of years that Amazon is just a really important channel to capture that demand. Because as much as we'd love customers to only be shopping on our D2C channel, there's some customers who just really want the convenience of purchasing on Amazon. So We want to make sure that we capture them there and offer them as much selection as they can get on Amazon. Having said that, though, as you pointed out, we've experimented with a couple different types of advertising on Amazon. We've done the TNF marketing campaign, which actually spiked our sales significantly on D2C as opposed to on Amazon, which is interesting. Oh, really? Um, Yeah, that's interesting. Can you tell me more about that? Yeah. Yeah, so I think doing a campaign like that's not cheap. The primary goal of that was obviously more top of funnel than bottom of funnel. And we didn't expect it to really boost sales on Amazon too much. But what we saw was a nice uptick in sales to our D2C site. What we didn't see, though, was a big lift in Amazon sales. So we're always willing to test things, but we're very performance oriented. And when we see something's not working and it's not driving top line sales, we're very quick to pull back. Knowing that there's certain tactics that for us don't really work on Amazon. And another one of them is DSP. So we have been testing DSP. We tested it at the end of last year and we just honestly didn't see a huge lift in sales. 
It's not that we'll never try it out again. It's just that for us, it doesn't seem to be a marketing play that really like drives a lot of traffic for us because our hypothesis is that our customers are already coming to Amazon with very high intent. And actually, we don't want to double spend on them. If we're spending on Facebook, we don't want to spend again to get with another top of funnel or middle of funnel tactic to help them convert again on Amazon. We think that they're already going to come to our products using branded search. And we want to own that space, absolutely. But besides that, we're truly using Amazon as a bottom of funnel channel. That makes sense. So very interesting to hear about that Thursday Night Football campaign. I mean, you saw an increase in sales activity, just not on the channel that you expected. I think that that is a really good observation to make in that, like you said, there's some customers, they just prefer to shop on Amazon. And if you don't give them that opportunity, they're just not going to shop your brand at all. So what would you rather? Yeah, Amazon comes with a lot of complexity and challenges and it's not the easiest channel to operate, but there's some people who are just prefer to shop there. And then at the same time, we actually see a similar occurrence in reverse. I'm sure you do as well, which is when you run a big campaign outside of Amazon, you might see a bump in sales or in branded search volume as, as you mentioned as well. So I think it's just important to understand that these marketing activities don't work in isolation. And if I have a need, I'm going to shop on the channel, a need or build awareness of a brand. I'm going to shop on the channel that makes the most sense to me, whether that's Amazon or increasingly for me, it's actually Walmart, the Walmart app, because I'm just finding the delivery a little bit faster and just sort of intrigued to see what that experience is like. So that's me. Yeah. I'm going to prefer to shop on the Walmart app than a D2C site. Exactly. And that's part of the reason why we're cautiously building out our channels, the channels that we're playing in over this year and coming years. So we're available on Walmart. We're available on Target.com. We're not going too broad yet. There's dozens of channels we could play in. We want to make sure we stay focused with the resources we have so that we can deliver a really good experience for shoppers and make sure that we don't overextend ourselves into channels that are just not going to drive a lot of good results for us. And ultimately, like it's not going to help us to be in channels that customers aren't shopping in and we can't deliver like a really great experience for shoppers. But Walmart and Target are huge focuses for us this year because we know increasingly customers are shopping there. Walmart and Target are putting a lot of focus in their e-commerce businesses. We want to make sure that we're capturing those customers and available for those customers. So huge focuses for us. And to go back to one of your previous points, absolutely. When we spend on Facebook, which is typically a channel that we spend to drive customers to our D2C, we've historically seen a big correlation between that spend and our sales on Amazon, even though the traffic doesn't at all drive to Amazon. That has decoupled a little bit in the last I would say six to eight months because we've been spending more broadly on category terms on Amazon and on these new channels that we're spending on. We look very much at our payback in tandem across all of our channels on our marketing spend. So when we're spending, we look at the full set of new customers we're getting in for that spend and our blended payback across channels. And that's why it's really important that we make sure we're have wider range of selection available as possible for those customers. Because if we're going to be spending a lot on Facebook, and getting a lot of new customers on Amazon, it helps drive down our payback at a blended level across all of our channels. Yeah, that's really interesting. That's a term that I haven't heard before, blended payback across channels. So how do you actually calculate that? We look at our cost per acquisition and then how much lifetime value that customer brings in. And 
what the net offset is between those two. So it's basically like how long it takes us to pay back the cost per acquisition per customer. And what we see is typically on Amazon, our paybacks are quite a lot higher than they are on D2C just because the cost per acquisition is so much lower and those customers are so much more bottom of funnel and it's just easier to get a customer to click versus, as you know, the CPAs on Facebook and other social media channels have really gone up a lot in the last few years. So when we look at payback across channels, Amazon has become a very important channel in our like omni-channel mix to help us just reduce that overall payback and make our total marketing spend more efficient. Yeah, that makes sense. And then also, I wonder, how do you then overlay that channel view of, okay, my Amazon marketing spend is this and it costs less to acquire a customer, but also overlaying the knowledge that a lot of those customers first search for Dr. Squatch because they saw an ad on Facebook or because they saw a a streaming video ad? That's a great question. And we don't have a good answer to that because to our knowledge, it's impossible to segment out customers on Amazon who've seen a Facebook ad. We'd love to be able to do that, but we just can't right now. And that's exactly why we look at blended payback because we know that we're spending a lot on Facebook and not all of that spend is going to go directly to the channel that we're spending it for, D2C. Some of it will go to Amazon. That's exactly why we look at the blended payback because we have to look at it at both channels because some of that spend is indirectly right. going to PP, uh, to Amazon customers, if that makes sense. Yes. I'm glad that we dug into it because I think it's a good model. Obviously, there are some leakage and some holes in there because you can't track, you know, person A on this channel going to that channel. I think we're getting closer to that with Amazon Marketing Cloud. I like that model, the blended payback calculation. You mentioned that you haven't been super happy with Amazon DSP as a channel. Anything else that you have tried within the marketing funnel, various Amazon marketing products that you've either had a great experience with or the test and learn didn't deliver and you're not going to bother again. I want to talk about buy with Prime, but I'm not sure if we can because we've signed an NDA. All right, well, let's leave that one. That's emerging. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, Yeah, that's emerging. I will say it's like a very interesting test for us and I'd love to talk about it, but I'm not sure if we'll get some slapback from Amazon on that. All right, we'll we'll skip over buy with Prime. I don't want to get you in trouble. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, so tell me about your experience with Amazon DSP. So as I said, we've historically viewed Amazon as a very bottom of funnel channel. Our PPC ads have always delivered very high ROAS, and that's primarily because of all that branded search we're getting. So our our cost per clicks are pretty low on that branded search. And obviously, when a customer searches for Dr. Squatch Soap, they probably want to buy Dr. Squatch Soap. So the ROAS on those terms is pretty high. However, like as anyone who works on Amazon knows, DSP has become a huge focus over the last few years for a lot of brands and a lot of brands have been exploring it. We're always willing to explore and test out new channels and platforms and see if they do perform. We brought on a new agency in August last year and with that launch, we were planning on trying out DSP. We did a relatively low spend test. We didn't want to pump too much money behind it, but we planned on doing some very specific targeting remarketing and retargeting existing customers to some very specific products to see if this is going to create a lift. And long story short, we didn't see a lift to our top line sales. And two, we couldn't actually attribute the sales to DSP. And in our view, this is the critical component is that the reported ROAS of DSP, their attributed ROAS doesn't make a lot of sense to us because it's 
based on anyone who views the ad, if they come back, even if it's in a different session and they purchase the product, it'll be counted as a conversion, even if they came back and found it through an organic search. And for us, this didn't make a lot of sense because we were seeing roadhouses of 20 to 30 on our spend. And that was obviously false. I mean, those customers might not have even noticed that ad. They just scrolled right past it and it was counted as a view and a purchase. We calculated the click attributed ROAS, which like basically like how many people had clicked and our assumed conversion rate on that click. And that ROAS came out to more like a one. And if we're really getting a one ROAS on our DSP spend, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense for us to be pumping more money behind that. So ultimately, we decided that for now, we're going to turn off DSP until we can find a way or a partner who can help us to really drive incremental top line sales. This is what we really want is can we drive incremental top line sales with DSP, not just kind of cannibalize the rest of our spend or drive more middle top of funnel, supposedly middle top of funnel views that we're already getting from our other channels, then we'd be happy to try it again. But for now, it just doesn't seem to be something that's really driving our top line. I'm so glad that you mentioned all of this. I didn't know that that was going to be your answer. It sounds like it was planted, but this is literally the topic that we have dived into with some research that we're coming out with in March. March 23, we're launching some research that we did because we had the same sort of suspicion about DSP in some cases being what we were calling stolen organic. So these are people who would have bought your product anyway. They happen to be served an impression and then that gets counted in your DSP metrics. We took a real hard look at this situation because spending marketing budget in the place where it's going to get the best return, whether that is your goals to grow category share or to maintain certain profitability margin, that's our job. So we took a pretty close look at this and what we discovered were the metrics that brands see from the native DSP reporting or from an ad tech partner, whatever they are using is impressions, ROAS, the typical kind of performance metrics. But those are not really doing anyone any favors, those particular metrics, because they're not tracking to your point when you dig into it views versus clicks and what that tells you about the intent of someone engaging with an ad. And in the absence of Amazon Marketing Cloud, if we're not using that, then we don't know what that purchase journey looks like. With Amazon Marketing Cloud, we do because we can see a top of funnel awareness ad and then the path to journey, the path to purchase from that, we're able to get those insights. But if a brand is not using AMC, then different metrics are needed. And so in March, we've identified a number of alternative metrics that brands should be using for DSP, including some new ones that are extremely interesting and something that people have not really been thinking about. So Jamie, I will give you a preview of that because it sounds right up your alley. But when you're listening to this, listeners, just go to acadia.io slash fit for purpose because it's all about fit for purpose, next gen DSP metrics that measure what matters. That's my little pitch. That was not planned, by the way, but I'm really happy you brought it up because it was exactly what we have been thinking about as well. Kiri, I'm so glad you kind of see what we're seeing because it's been hugely frustrating to us to continuously hear you need to be spending on DSP. And when we look at it, it just doesn't seem to be making a whole lot of sense. We'd absolutely love to lean into tactics where we can see the results, but I think we just need a little bit more details. I'm very excited to see what you put out. 
Great. All right. Well, I guess one question I want to close with is sort of to that point with thinking about all the different retail media networks and channels that you could be on. And there's like a new one launching every two weeks, it seems. How do you think about new retail media channels from the context of having limited time and budget, just like any other brand out there? (laughs) Absolutely. Like I think one of our biggest challenges is resourcing and time. The truth of the matter is that Amazon is a huge channel for us and it's a big channel. It's still growing year over year. And every minute that I take away from the Amazon business, even if I put it into a business that's likely going to grow or a business or a marketing channel that's likely going to grow significantly over the next few years is a minute that I've taken away from our huge Amazon business. So that's probably the biggest challenge is just figuring out where to spend my time and where to spend the team's time. You've already probably picked up that we're very performance oriented at Dr. Squatch. We look at anything that we think is going to drive top line and bottom line results in the next six to 12 months. And obviously also in the next five years, but really like we want to make sure that what we're doing, what we're spending time on now is going to drive results in the next six to 12 months and focus on those channels. Ultimately, like if we're not seeing results in the next six to 12 months, then it's likely not going to be a network that is tested out enough for us to be able to really use it to its best capabilities. And like, I think for us, what we've seen is putting our time and effort into retail media networks that are pre-tested, have enough volume to be kind of scaled out and where we know we're going to get the support and the traffic and the volume that, that we need to be able to drive actual incremental sales dollars. That kind of makes the most sense for us in terms of like where we put effort. Everything else we keep on the back burner and we absolutely add it to like a long list of things we'll do in the future, but we're primarily focused on about four retail media networks in the marketplace team right now. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. Yeah, I love what you said about every minute that you spend away from Amazon is is a real cost. It's not just about, okay, can we peel off like five or 10% of our budget as a test and learn? It's not that. It's your time. It's your team's time. It's figuring out what are the best practices. And that is the biggest cost. It's really not just the ad spend that you need to contribute there. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Jamie. Just great to hear from someone at the front line of a very fast growing brand, very innovative D2C roots. I think there's a lot that legacy brands can hear from and learn from you. So thanks for joining us today. Thanks so much, Kiri. This was a great discussion and I'm so glad that you had me on. 